Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, and welcome back to Tripping Up. I'm your host, Nina Clapperton, author of the solo female travel blog, ninaoutandabout.ca. This week, I'm chatting with Ash Bardwaj, who's an award-winning broadcaster that I'm sure you guys are gonna love. Not only has he worked with the Telegraph Travel as a regular columnist, but he also reports with BBC Radio 4 and the World Service. He's even had films that appeared on BBC, Channel 4, Discovery, and National Geographic, which is pretty amazing. So he's got a lot of travel stories to tell us. So let's dive right in and learn about Ash's trip-ups and triumphs along the way. Now boarding. Hi, Ash. Welcome to Tripping Up. Hi, Nina. How are you doing? Good. How are you? It's so nice to have you on the podcast. No, well, I'm very good. It's, um, it's start, finally started to get a bit sunny here in London, so that was lovely. And, and the pubs have just opened again, which, of course, is critical. Always an essential in London. London wouldn't be London without some pubs. <laughs> it hasn't been London for the last year, therefore. It's... Um, yeah, when you can't go to any art galleries, theatre or pubs, there isn't a huge reason to be in London. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you can't go to Heathrow either, which is like one of the other like major <laughs> factors of London. <laughs> no live music. Like, you can't go to Camden and watch some rock. Um, you can't go to any of the clubs and listen to any DJs. So uh, I have been making the most out of it by exploring the parks of London, though. So I know Kennington Park very well now, Hyde Park. Also very well. Discovered quite a lot of new bits of Hyde Park that I didn't know existed. So I'd, I've been. I was going to say Hyde Park is extensive. Like I always visit Hyde Park and like just read books and everything when I'm in London. And I've yet to ever go and feel like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, there's just so much in in Hyde Park and in London generally. You spend a bit of time getting lost, and you can find some really cool stuff. Yeah, of course. And you're a very well-known traveler, so um, I don't really need to ask you kind of if you travel. So we'll just ask how and why you travel. I started traveling when I was 17. So I went to a local state school for sixth form um, and we lived in social housing. So we weren't people that sort of traveled a lot. Mum used to take us for holidays around England. Um, 
and the school was going on a rugby tour and mum was working as a cleaner and she saved up to pay for my time on this rugby tour. I had to learn how to play rugby beforehand. The reason she was so excited was because it was going to Australia, New Zealand and the Cook Islands. Wow. There would never be such an opportunity for me to go to those places that affordably in such a sort of protected way. Well, I say protected as an easy way where everything was sorted out. So she covered that and I loved it. And I loved it partly because, well, mainly because going to somewhere, what they did really well on the rugby tour was they introduced us to the indigenous culture of both Australia and New Zealand, which was pretty unlikely wasn't covered much in Australia in the early 2000s. Um, I think you know, a lot of that changed around the Olympics that they had a few years later. Sorry, I think a lot of that changed around the Olympics. Yeah, it was a few years later. Um, but in New Zealand, of course, indigenous Maori culture is quite well known, uh, particularly for rugby teams because of the Haka and the All Blacks. Uh, so, yeah, it was just great going to these places and realising you could have a really interesting time going somewhere, as well as the landscape being beautiful. I think that triggered me on that sort of journey of wherever I go somewhere. It's not just about the fun that I'm having or the things that I'm doing, which I certainly had a great time on the tour, but also what you can learn about a place through the lives of the people there. And I think that is probably what has really carried on in my travel journalism, that idea to go somewhere and not just tell the story of what I've done, but find out something a bit more interesting about the place and explore a theme yeah, I think that's always very important to like get to know it a little bit more than like the top five destinations or things to do. Because I actually I lived in New Zealand for a year, so I'm very familiar with the Maori and absolutely love the culture. Um, still cannot pronounce the WHs properly instinctively instead of saying the F. I always go with the and then get in trouble. <laughs> I got caught out on that this year because I thought I was going to the Fonganui River, but it's actually called the Wanganui River. So, yep. <laughs> you know, you get caught out when, uh, even when you're in New Zealand, even if you think you're doing it right. Honestly, like I, I genuinely, they try to teach me the alphabet, like just singing a song of it. And you think the ABCs would be like an easy way to learn something? No, ABCs are much more complicated when you're not in grade school trying to learn them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shows how hard it is for kids. It's true. So now that we know a bit about how you travel, I'd love to know about an interesting or odd souvenir that you've picked up during your times of travel. Yeah, you know, I, I've tried to avoid doing too much uh, souvenir collecting just because otherwise my house is full of junk. Um, I picked up a pretty cool stone fossil walking across the empty quarter, which is the desert in Arabia, when I was with my mate Lev, he was, he was going all the way around the Arabian Peninsula. We were walking through Amman, that's pretty cool. Uh, another, another one from my trip to Lev is this machete um, from Walking the Americas. Wasn't actually used in the end. I think that's probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> uh, but my best one is from Ukraine. So when I was in Ukraine, I was, it was part of a six month project called Edgelands, which is the name of the Telegraph podcast I made for it, or the New Iron Curtain, which is my probably slightly Cold War moniker for the project, which I probably wouldn't use if I was to do it again, but provocative um, <laughs> anyway. So it was all about what was going on at the interface of Russia and 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 uh, the rest of Europe. What was happening on that border, demographics, ling uh, you know, linguistic barriers, and how that was playing out in geopolitics and current affairs. Uh, and when I was in Ukraine, which at that time, so I was there in 2018, it was four years since Russia had invaded and annexed Crimea and was uh, engaging in 
sub-threshold, well, it's not sub-threshold, it's engaging in, uh, what would you call it? Uh, and it was basically behind the conflict in, in Eastern Ukraine. So it was a fascinating place to be and exploring these stories. And I was in traveling around Ukraine. So I visited Donbass, which is where the conflict is happening in the East. I, in fact, went to Russia-occupied Crimea, which is an interesting little trip. But I also went to Western Ukraine, which is very much sort of where, uh, you know, Ukrainian nationalism has its heart um, mm -hmm. and uh, is also where that part of Ukraine used to be from various empires from Central Europe, so, you know, Austrian and Polish, I think, was an empire there. But it's a fascinating place with lots of layered ethnicities, including uh, a group called the Hutzels who are up in the mountains. Anyway, we're walking through the Carpathian Mountains and I wanted to go and explore and learn a bit about this sort of, uh, that part of Ukrainian culture and that Ukrainian history and Ukrainian story, which I knew nothing about because we just think of Ukraine through this sort of post-Soviet lens of it being grey. You know, um, there's definitely some pretty grey buildings in parts of Ukraine. But there we were walking around the mountains with this guy who'd actually been fighting in the conflict in eastern Ukraine. And um, we were trying to climb Mount Havela, which is Ukraine's highest mountain, uh, and we got lost. I say lost, we got uh, temporarily uh, geographically embarrassed uh, by the <laughs> And we we're trying to find out which way to go. And he's like, hey guys, don't worry. There's this like shepherd guys over here. We'll go and ask them. So we go to try and find the shepherds and they're not there. But what there was, was this hut. And I think it had only recently been occupied. I think there might've even still been smoke coming out of the roof. But carved on the, do on the door was this symbol. And Max had gone like, oh yeah, these guys here, they're very you know, superstitious. They, the shamans come here and they carve stuff. I had no idea there were shamans in Ukraine. And yeah. So, yeah it's like magic and warding off evil. He had these amazing fairy tales, these amazing stories it was telling us about, like banshees and like shape-shifting werewolves. And, oh, it was amazing stuff that we heard. Anyway, there was this thing carved on the door uh, and we took a photo of it. And Max like, yeah, that's a symbol to protect people from lightning and evil. And when we eventually got off the mountain, um, these foresters... Uh, found us and said, oh, you guys need a place to stay. Come out to our forest camp. And we drank loads of vodka with them and ate loads of uh, like salo, which is like a type of pork. And then my mate, Rich, who was with me, is sort of like, you know, like a bit of a punk dude, cameraman, you know, who's a bass guitarist in a rock band, a heavy metal band, who'd hate me calling it a rock band. And um, <laughs> he he's like, oh, I'm going to get a tattoo of that, that, that symbol that we saw carved on the door. So he's got a massive one carved on his arm and I've got one carved on my ankles. That's probably my best um, um, souvenir from a trip, which I, which I do carry around with me everywhere. We, there, was a, there was this very slight period of time where we were slightly worried that he'd we'd accidentally been tattooed with like far-right symbolism, which had become an increasing problem in Ukraine over the last five years. And like, what if we've actually accidentally got ourselves tattooed with like some far-right Aryan Brotherhood symbol. Fortunately, we checked online and it uh, definitely wasn't. Like, we, checked <laughs> online. we checked through some experts online and, uh, and managed to check that it did in, me, in fact mean protection from lightning and evil. Because, yeah, that would be a very unfortunate and like that would make the souvenir even weirder <laughs> to have accidentally stumbled into kind of a leftist group that you didn't mean to be in. <laughs> or yeah. far-right, sorry, not leftist. <laughs> Yeah, accidentally something into a far right group. I think, particularly as somebody who's half Indian, that would be uh, extremely odd. <laughs>
Yeah, I feel like they they wouldn't understand. They'd be like, why did why you specifically? <laughs> what happened <laughs> <Yeah>. here? <laughs> yeah. We avoided it. And I've not been struck by lightning yet. So it must be worth it. Yeah, it must. I mean, I I don't really know the odds of being struck by lightning, but considering you were like wandering around deserts and all over the world, it feels like there were chances and opportunities where they could have happened. There were some lightning strikes on the top of the mountain that day. And there was actually a time when I was walking across Ilkley Moor with my then girlfriend, now wife. And I saw some lightning strikes in the distance. And I was like, Joe, we need to get off the top of this mountain. She's like, oh, I'll be fine. I'm like, no, this is, she's like, lightning doesn't strike people. It's like, yeah, that's because most people don't stand on top of mountains and thunderstorms. <laughs> like, we are getting, yeah, that's probably my closest shave. I, had I, had the ta- I hadn't had the tattoo then, so I wouldn't have been okay. Yeah, you would have like definitely been struck. It would have been like, because <laughs> you're challenging it outright then being on top of the mountain. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that alone sounds like a bit of a trip up, but I'd love if you would share with us now your uh, tripping up story about a time when travel didn't go as planned. I've got plenty of stories about travel not going as planned. There was a time that I went out with my mates in an area called Notting Hill in London. I was currently, at that time I was living in northeast london in hackney and to get home i would have to get the the central line out to liverpool street and then get on another train north and i got on the central line and then the next thing i know is i woke up and i looked out the tube window and i was outside so that's that's automatically alarm bells ringing because all the tubes in central london are underground so if you can see out the window and you can see like the world and not just a ton of wall you know you aren't where you're supposed to be. That was my immediate first alarm. And I looked out and uh, I didn't recognize the name of the place. And then I tried to get out uh, and I I missed that stop. So I got out of the next one. I was at the end of the central line in a place called uh, Taden Boys. Uh, Taden Boys, Taden Boys. I mean, I think, I mean, it is written Théden Bois in French, but I don't think that's how they talk about it in East London. Uh, I got out. And I was like, right, I need to get back home. And the guy said, no, you've missed it. This is, you've missed the last train home. Uh, so I then tried to get a bus. There wasn't going to be a bus for a few hours. I got on a taxi with a couple of other people who'd done exactly the same thing. They realized I had no money. <laughs> so the taxi driver kicked me out. I was then stuck in this, on, on a road in the middle of, I think it's Essex there. Um, and absolutely no idea how to get home, like 30 miles from home. Absolutely no idea what I was going to do. I stuck my thumb out and then a black BMW with tinted windows pulled up and I was like, this is probably not a great idea. Still quite drunk getting into like just a random car on the road. And I got in and the guy's like, oh, where are you going, mate? I'm like, well, I've got to get back to Hackney. Um, I was like, oh, I'm going that way. And I was like, oh, what are you doing driving around at this time? And I was like, oh yeah, I've got to drop off some um, some Coke. I'm like, I'm sorry. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to go and drop some off. Uh, you know, somebody rang me up and he's like, I'm like, oh, interesting. Cool. This is going to be really awkward if we get stopped by the police. But, you know, there you go. Even drug dealers help help out people who get stuck on the road in the middle of the night. So that was that was one of my um, unexpected ones where I didn't even have to go too far from home. So he uh, he uh, <laughs> he let me out, very friendly guy, and then carried, carried on about his business, late night delivery <laughs> drive in London. And another time I was in Tasmania. This was just after I'd left university and I was driving across the island to go and visit a mate, had stopped to go to the toilet and I got out and there was like a Suzuki four by four parked up. 
the two people in it and this is a very odd thing to be happening here and i sort of like looked at them like what if they're like gonna like mug me or something what if they're doing some uh, particularly after my experience in East London, maybe I thought, you know, that's some kind of drug deal here. Um, and I've just been watching a lot of Sopranos as well, and I realised these sort of <laughs> where those sorts of things happen. And I went up to the toilet and I came out, and both of them were walking up the hill towards me. And I was like, this doesn't look good. And I was like, okay, so there's, there's, there's a short, like, skinny guy and, like, a bigger, fatter guy. Like, I reckon if I had to, I could probably, like, kick the little guy into the big guy and then make it back to my car. So I sort of gave him a wide berth and sort of walked a bit more like, well, I play rugby and um, nothing happened. And I was down, down back near the car park reading a sign that told me about the story of the road. And then these two guys came back down and sort of had a little conference and one of them walked over to me, chatting to me for a minute. It's like, oh, hey, mate, you know, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm from England. He's like, oh, right. Where are you from? He goes, oh, we're from South Australia. I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, so I could see that from your number plates. So I wanted him to, you know, realise I was onto him if he was doing a soprano drug deal. And then <laughs> I presume at this point he was actually what he was going to do was just try and sell me some drugs, um, yeah. um, because I was in this weird soprano mindset. And he said, so my my uh, my friend and I were just wondering if you if you fancied a threesome. I was like, that was not the offer I was expecting. I have to be honest with you. And I was like, no, um, I'm all right, but but thanks for asking. Uh, and then got back in my car and drove off. So like, interesting experiences with people in remote places, I think is probably a thematic um, theme in my travel fail is. That's, yeah, I, that's not where I saw it going at all. That was <laughs> twists and turns. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely not where I was expecting it to be going either. Um, but he had an idea where he wanted things to be going and he did not go there. I wonder if maybe like the, if the rugby swagger actually like felt what, like maybe that was the instigating factor where they were like, Oh, that's, what's going to make us want the threesome. <laughs> He's peacocking. He's showing up like, yeah. You know, look, look at those big rugby guns. Yeah. I'll have some of that. Um, <laughs> I was wearing some fairly short shorts. So I probably, I probably wasn't doing myself any favors if, if I'm honest now. I mean, but that's always the fun thing is when like, I don't know, I, I, I kind of like it too when like the danger becomes something nicer where it's like you just you immediately have to laugh because you're so high on the adrenaline too of like this conspiracy or fear or whatever that you just go like, oh, yeah, like weird things happen in the world. I'd much rather this. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a really interesting point. I was talking to a friend of mine um, who is uh, a British Indian woman about some like the assumptions we make when we travel. And I realized that like, I was slightly scared uh, in, in both of those moments, but I have the hubris of being like a, uh, like a, a fairly athletic man where I'm thinking, oh, I can get myself out of any situation. But as a woman in both of those situations, like women shouldn't have to be scared, but I can understand how for women traveling, it's a very different experience. You know, oh, yeah. they- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And if you think about the travel stories get told around the world, like, that sounds fun, but that, that those travel stories are, are, are through the lens of the privilege of being an, a British man, being able to travel around the world and all of the benefits that come with that and the uh, reduction in perceived risk that comes with it and reduction in real risk actually as well. Oh, for sure. Like actually my uh, tripping up story that I'm going to share with you now is basically the same. Um, I was in Morocco and in Marrakesh, I was, I spent a year kind of around Europe. I count, I know it's Africa, but I count it as like my Europe trip because that was the year I was in Europe and Marrakesh happened to be added in. So um, I was there and for about a, a week. Long, long history of relationships with Europe, of course, you know, it's like, I guess that, that's a fairly decent yeah. uh, reason. <laughs> I feel like like it's like I know it's continental Africa, but I think when like the Westerners think of Africa, we don't necessarily put Morocco in it. I think same with Egypt. We kind of picture those more as like maybe Middle East. I don't know. But like people when I when I even mention Morocco, a lot of people are surprised to find out that it is in Africa, which was somewhat shocking to me. Um, again, I'm not great at geography, though, so I can kind of get it. I think I've learned geography like en route to things. <laughs> little bits of north africa that are actually spain still i yes in some way that you know gibraltar is part of the uk um uh yeah. the islands are part of the uk but yeah they're, they're just little bits of spain that are yeah it's no it's uh, like i think the continents definitely mess things up like even if you think of istanbul like technically where what is it because it's like i've been there people are like oh yeah turkey's asia turkey's europe it's like technically only a little bit of it's in europe but more people yeah. consider it european and i was very surprised at that because like it is the tiniest bit of istanbul that's in europe and then the rest of the country is just all asian well these and all these things have massive uh implications for the way we perceive the world and what we perceive as good bad safe dangerous exactly yeah. We think of Russia as like, are uh, they white? They're European. So, like, well, like most of Russia is on the other side of the Ural Mountains, and oh, yeah. a lot of Russians that don't look European. 
Oh yeah. Like my, my family historically, like, um, I'm Russian, Serbian, Scottish. So like I, but you could like, I'm very white, clearly like I'm of the European passing Russians, but I've met Russians who look nothing like me because yeah, they're, they're from very different areas of Russia. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's fascinating the way we label places and things and like, what does that mean if you're like, oh, uh, geographically, of course, Morocco is Africa. Um, mm. But you know, when people say European culture, I'm like, I mean, that's a pretty broad brush of things. Oh, yeah. European culture. I mean, are you talking about, you know, Brixton, uh, British Jamaican culture? Or are you talking about Belgradian Serbian? Uh, yes. <laughs> or Bosnian Serbian culture. You know, there's so many different. Exactly. Um, ideas of what makes European culture. Yeah, and I think that is, that's also an issue when you think of, um, like, yeah, like with Morocco, where people would say once they found out it was Africa, then it was, oh, are you nervous to go alone as a woman? But when it was Europe in their minds, they were like, oh, it's fine. It's part of Europe. Like, Europe is safer somehow, which isn't always true. But in this case, like, Marrakesh is a very safe city. There's tons of undercover police all over the place. Um, But it's one of those cities that, like, it's all alleys. That's kind of what the, like the Medina is like the Medina is like, I don't know. I'm going to like be very reductionist, but like, if you think of like Aladdin, when he's like running through all the streets and alleys with like these sand colored buildings, it all kind of look the same. If you're not familiar with it, that's definitely what it feels like. And it was about my second day there. And I was venturing out, wandering around. I am like a woman alone. I'm doing all the right things of like wearing baggier clothes that are like modest and cover. Um, you don't really require a head covering in Marrakesh in some other places, or if you're going into a mosque, you might, but typically like be yourself, it's fine. Um, and you'll really only get heckled by like street vendors who just want to sell you stuff because they're trying to make a living. But I made the mistake um, I love podcasts. So I was listening to a podcast on the Velisca Axe murders, which you should not do if you're traveling alone. Um, it was like I had eaten dinner at a cute little restaurant. I was heading back to my Riyadh, but I decided to take the long way and wander a little bit. But the sun is quickly setting. My anxiety is quickly rising as the podcasters are describing these like gruesome, horrible murders. And like this guy kept breaking into houses and murdering people very violently, but like across the United States, across a train line. Um, And they never caught him. And so it keeps just like, like your anxiety is way too high at that point. This is clearly a mistake. But at this point I'm invested in the podcast, so I'm not turning it off. But then I start to notice um, someone's behind me. And that's always like a terrifying moment, especially when you have headphones in. So I pause the podcast. That way I can like be more alert, but I still have the headphones in. That way it looks like I'm not. And I'm like wandering. Things are basically closed. And like our, or the Riyadh that I was staying in, you had to kind of like serpentine through a few alleys to get to it. So I know that I'm nearly at the Riyadh and I'm getting a bit worried about like going through the corridor of it because there's nothing there. It's all residential. So there's no more shops. There's no more like um, the donkey cart that would pass me. There's not like the restaurant. So my heart's like racing and I kind of start walking a bit faster. I'm definitely like trying to stand taller. I'm thinking about like, hey, what do I have on me? And then I'm Literally, I can see the reality, like I'm right in front of it. And then finally, this person behind me goes, 
oh, hey, like, do you know how to get in? I've never been here after hours. And it's a lovely, small European girl who I had not seen. But I was picturing this, like, hulking, like, man, who was going to, like, I don't know, attack me or something. But it's like, just, she was just wearing really heavy shoes. (laughs) um, Like, walking, and she had, like... Yeah. And like had a bunch of stuff with her. So like in the peripheral and in the shadows, she looked bigger than she was. But it's just like this other tourist who was like, yeah, like they said you have to like ring a bell to get it. Like and I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. We're fine. Mm -hmm. But um, I definitely once the adrenaline wore off, I felt better. (laughs) That is yeah, that that sense of relief when you sort of go, oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. That goes a long way. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like, I think also because there is that sense of like, I mean, I know what I did wrong there. I know that like my anxiety was already up high because like I'm picturing these like dark and stormy nights where bad things are happening. So then you equate that with whatever's around you. And I mean, hugely problematic (laughs) was not uh, was not the best idea. But I don't think I've learned my lesson because I continue to listen to murder podcasts while I travel. (laughs) You um. Also, my intimate connection is a bit dodgy, so if I break, um, give me, let me know and I'll be back in. Perfect. Um, did you become friends with the girl that was following you? No, no, we just, like, we went in. I don't think I ever saw her again. Like, <laughs> it was like, it was a Riyadh with, like, a, a, I don't know, I think there were about 16 rooms. So, like, you didn't tend to see the same people, but a lot of people, too, um, seemed to be, I stayed in Marrakesh for about a month, but everyone else was kind of in and out for, like, three-day trips. They were probably doing the whole, like, Morocco, Chef Chauvin, Casablanca, um, kind of Tangier tour sort of thing. Um, but I was... I don't know. I was there waiting. My mom was going to meet me. That way she could bring me all my summer clothes that way because I was spending a year. So I needed to switch over. Um, and luckily my mom loves travel. So we kind of agreed that we would meet up somewhere cool that she'd never been either. And she did not love Morocco as much as I did. I still, I have like, my heart is kind of in Marrakesh with all of like the bright stalls and this and that. My mom, like uh, she felt the strain of being a woman in Morocco, I think much more than I did. Mm. Interesting. My mum mm. said that about when she visited Rome in the 1970s. That's, uh, That's interesting. Yeah. I do find that, like, sorry. She had a lot of catcalling and that sort of thing. Yes, I think that is like definitely an issue. And I mean, I don't know. Like, I I write for solo female travelers all the time, so a big thing is like how to kind of get over the catcalling because it sucks. But like, I mean, I've had it happen in New York. I've had it happen in like Hyde Park actually. Um, yeah. When I I was like 15 yeah. in Hyde Park, and some random businessman just started, and I was like, "You're you, sir, are an adult businessman, and I am a child. Let let's just move past this. Like, let's go about our days." It's just remarkable, isn't it? This stuff. Mm-hmm. It really there's a, a guy doing it, a girl down, um, going down Stoke Newington High Street uh, a little while ago. And he did that whole sound at this Ugh. girl going on the bike. And I went, Oi, you, what are you doing? And he goes, I oh, know her. I'm like, no, no, you don't. But like, yeah. just like he properly shat himself. Good. Then, if you call, uh, and you know, it shouldn't. A woman shouldn't need other men. Women shouldn't, you know, have to depend on the protection of men. But you know, I think it's important that men call out other men that are doing stuff like that. And yeah, these guys know that they're being idiots when they mm-hmm. they know that they've done something wrong when you call them out for it. And they're they're usually pretty pathetic individuals when you do call them out for it. I one hundred percent agree. Me, I'm doing my moral high horse. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll get back to the theme of travel now that we've got the heavy stuff out of the way. Yeah. Um, so, so I know that we're both very big travelers and travel lovers. And even though trip ups happen, I always like to uh, ask my guests to share a travel triumph or a happy moment of travel to kind of remind our listeners about why they love travel. I mean, again, it's got a bunch of them. One that I was thinking about was I was in Albania, which is not a place that people tend to go on holiday. And I was following the story of this World War II British secret mission that got parachuted in to disrupt the German um, supply lines going down to Greece and tie up German divisions for the rest of the European actions. I think the Europe, I think the Allies were in were encroaching into Italy by this point, or they'd already occupied quite a bit of Italy. Anyway, um, following this route of these guys who'd basically parachuted in under this bloke called Brigadier Edmund Trotsky Davies, he parachuted in with a filing cabinet and a typewriter so that he could make sure that all of his orders were done properly. Yeah. I had, which I don't think you'd get many people doing special operations missions with a filing cabinet these days. No. <laughs> um, or a typewriter. I guess you could throw that at the enemy if your bullets ran out. But he was up in this mountain hideaway launching like raids on German supply lines. And eventually, of course, the Germans came after him. And he spent couple of months escaping from them in the Albanian winter in these mountains. So I just followed the yeah. route that he did. It's all these amazing villages and uh, it's a beautiful part of the world. And the final place where Trotsky Davies and the rest of his team were eventually captured and some of them killed, but a few of them escaped. And I met the guy who had, who had been the commissar of the village. So during communist times, he'd basically been the, I guess, dobbing in on his neighbors for capitalist and imperialist thinking and that sort of stuff. But he was very nice to me. Oh, he gave me a cup of tea and told me that his family had sheltered one of these British soldiers who'd escaped from the encirclement and his family had hidden him in their, in their hay shed and then helped him escape. And then after the war, this guy wasn't able to come back. Oh, wow. um, he was invited back for a family wedding, this British soldier, but he wasn't allowed back because by then Albania had become properly communist and the British were enemies. Perfidious Albion, as Enver Hodger, the Albanian leader, called them. And um, and this guy said, you know, it was really strange because during the war, Albania and the British were allies. And then after the war, we were enemies. And now we're allies again. Albania is part of NATO. And he yeah. said, uh, but I'm glad you've come here because I think whatever would have happened, you and I would have always been friends. Now, I think you could just have these little like cliche moments of travel. Um, but finding like stories and intersections of things through that kind of journey I think is quite nice. I 100% agree. I mean, I think that's always so important. Like um, a few years ago, I actually traveled to Serbia where my grandfather's family is from and went to the little village um, near Klitsura where he's like, I don't even know the name of his actual village. It's so small. It was like one street. Um, and I met the lady who was like his neighbor growing up who remembered him and was like, oh yeah, like everyone in Serbia's name is like Dragon or Dragoljub or something. So his name was Dragoljub. And she was like, oh yeah, like Dragoljub. She didn't even speak a word of English, but she kept like yelling his name at me. And then my uh, distant cousins would like translate, but she would just every now and then just look at me and go, Dragoljub. And like kind of a <laughs> celebration that like his family was still coming back and that like, I mean, like he'd grown up very much in poverty there and she was like the rich neighbor um 
but she still had so much compassion and, and yeah, there's that connection of it and getting to kind of meet someone who has those ties. is so important. Mm. You know, like you have, it's funny when you meet, it's like, I only had uh, in the same with, with you when you were in survey, you, you don't really have a conversation with these, with, with these people, with these people, with the people <laughs> you meet. Um, because I, you know, like you, I had, this conversation translated. There's something very grounding about going to the place and speaking to the people that makes you feel much more connected to the story and the history. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think it's like, like that's always the trouble too. I mean, Canada's not great about teaching languages. Like I learned French for 12 years and I can say three things and no one that speaks French can understand the three things I say. So I presume that everyone in Canada was sort of largely bilingual. Um, a fair number of us are like, I would say a significant portion of the population, but usually those are the people that like actively sought it out and actively worked at it. Like the school system, I don't think does a great job at it. Like my mom speaks, I don't know, like six or seven languages and it's just not a gene that I really inherited. Um, so when they would try and like teach us through workbooks and things, I can't understand that way. But like, I like to call myself menu fluent because I can read any menu and <laughs> anywhere I go, grocery stores and menus. So like I can speak enough German to deal with a grocery store. I can speak enough like French or Spanish or Portuguese to like get through a restaurant interaction, but like I can by no means do anything else. So I think there is like that misconception about Canada is that like we all speak French and, and English. Some people just speak French too. They don't speak any English. Really in, in the, in Quebec, there are people that uh, don't speak any English at all. Yeah. So actually um, my, He's not really my brother-in-law, but I call him my brother-in-law to upset my sister, um, her, her longtime partner. Uh, his mother is originally Quebecois and French is very much her first language. So she knows some English and she can like understand it if you speak it to her, but she won't speak English. Like she just will not. So, and some people are the same way. Like they just, to them, it's a maintenance of Quebec heritage. Sometimes it's um, embarrassment about an accent or pronunciation. And sometimes, yeah, some people just like, they never learned it properly. So they just go with French. I wonder if there's anyone in Wales that still only speaks Welsh. I'm sure there must be. There's definitely some dude like in a cabin somewhere that never Welsh learned. must be it. Yeah, like I kind of, I assume the same about Gaelic. Like, there must be somebody somewhere in Ireland who only well, has Gaelic. Well, there's areas, I, I don't know enough about Ireland, but I do know that in areas of Wales, like Welsh is still the first language. There's actually, mm-hmm. I think it's two very distinct Welsh languages. Like they're, okay. not in, like they're really quite distinct. But yeah, I think it's in North Wales. I mean, there's, there's you know, you, you go into villages around um, Snowdon and mm-hmm. everyone's speaking, speaking Welsh in, as their first language. But what if, what if there's anyone that doesn't speak any English left in Wales? That'd be interesting. Well, it would be interesting to find that person and then try to connect or relate, like see like, again, like what, even though you're very close to them physically, what the like cultural differences is, uh, uh, pardon me, cultural differences are just based on that language barrier. Yeah. Well, language also completely affects how you perceive the world. You know, like there's, isn't there a language that doesn't have a word for purple? Therefore they sort of don't see purple. um, Yeah. Shades of blue. Which is I think you're very much right. 
But it is interesting too, like even among animals, like apparently elephants have a noise that specifically means like there are bees here, let us run away from this place. And everyone always loves that fact. That there's like one specific noise that just means like, ah, bees. <laughs> and they were like, why don't people have that? And then someone said, we do. It's saying, ah, bees and running. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, we've loved chatting with you about all things travel. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Ash. Thanks for having me along. It was uh, fun to dig out some of my old, slightly more embarrassing stories. I don't think I've told that Tasmanian story for quite some time. Uh, I'm sure your listeners will presume that I just spend my time traveling around the world, um, drawing to me people with nefarious intentions. But I assure you, <laughs> not all of my travels uh, do, do involve either either criminal or nefarious elements <laughs> there's always like kind of an underlying theme where like sometimes it's like oh it seems like i only drink heavily on all my trip like this podcast very much represents one side of your travel <laughs> history which i think all of our listeners will keep in mind thank you thank you great chatting to you nina you as well attention passengers we've now reached our destination we hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day I love chatting with Ash about everything travel and especially about how languages can really affect our perception of the world. It was also amazingly funny when he whipped out a machete because I was not expecting that and I had the video that should have let me expect it. <laughs> if you want to hear more from Ash, check out his weekly column with The Telegraph Travel. Or you can find him the way I discovered his work at The First Mile, which is an incredible incredible travel podcast that I highly recommend you check out. Ash presents the first mile with his co-host Pip Stewart, both of which are travel journalists who have been adventuring around the world for what feels like forever. They're very into ethical travel and cultural tourism, which is something we discussed in this episode. So if you enjoyed it, I think you'll really love this show. My favorite episode discusses the Maori hakas in New Zealand, which is something that I'm absolutely fascinated with. And I really hope you guys go and check it out. You can find The First Mile wherever you find your podcasts. To get more of Ash, check out his social media handles at Ash, A-S-H, Bardwaj, B-H-A-R-D-W-A-J. And I'll be linking that in the show notes for you to find later. If you want to hear more of my favorite travel podcast recommendations, check out my post on the best travel podcast to listen to in 2021, on ninaoutandabout.ca. I'll also link that in the show notes. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Until next time, everybody. Happy travels. Cheers. Cheers.